The following show will contain spoilers, but trust us, you'll want to hear about it anyway. You little turds are going to have to learn you can't run from the ice cream man! Welcome to Subversive Cinema. These films risk causing harm! They should be burned! I'd like to do any of these two guys at the same time. What? Hell yeah! I don't owe you any book. No more books! Hello and welcome back to the show. This is a a very exciting episode because we are rounding out our season-long deep dive into the collective, as far as this recording goes, collective works of none other than Mr. Neil Breen. And we are rounding it out with his final and fifth film, from 2018, Twisted Pair, of course, written and directed and everythinged by Neil Breen. And to talk about it, coming back, sliding in the home for a big old score grand slam is our resident specialist in Breenism, Richard. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you, Art? I am fantastic. This was a delightful revisit. I was full of feels because I remember... Uh, I think we had actually talked about this uh, a couple weeks ago when we were at a brewery together, how this was one of the few films I'd actually seen with my movie pass when it was at the Lemley up in North Hollywood. <laughs> yes, those halcyon days when you could go see a movie for, what was it, like a dollar? Uh, practically, practically. It was like five bucks a month or something crazy, $10 a month. I don't know. But I remember at the time when I saw this, I laughed when the audience laughed, and I gasped when they gasped, and um, I stared in disbelief at the utter horror before me when everybody else did. But I remember leaving the theater feeling a bit less than impressed because I had felt that Neil had outneeled himself. That he, as he talks about his character Cade in this film, talks about the singularity of AI surpassing uh, humans, you know, as far as understanding and thinking for themselves, I felt that Neil had reached his own singularity, where he had become self-aware. And with a few years' time, I actually kind of want to walk that statement back. I don't entirely take it away. I still stand by some of it, but I'm actually more okay with it. But... Before we get into all that, well, I, I do want to hear your thoughts on that for sure. But let me go ahead and just, just introduce this whole thing. You're listening to Subversive Cinema. Talk about the weird, wacky, and downright wrong entries in cinema's history. I am here to be your Sherpa to the Strange, your Wrangler of the Weird, and your Purveyor of the Peculiar. And we are all about talking about these movies that are off the beaten path oftentimes. Sometimes you never even heard of them. And sometimes you have, and we want to know what makes them special, what makes them so subversive, so saucy, and and how tangy is that sauce. So we look at that through the lens of character, story, and what the fuck. And as mentioned in the very beginning, this is a special season-long series about the collective works of Neil Breen with Richard, our resident specialist in Breenism. So, Richard, what were your thoughts based off of what I was saying as far as Breen essentially doing Breen in this film? Or do you think that this was genuinely an original work without any impure efforts to try to outdo something? Uh, no, this is this is Meta Breen. This is him uh, now being a sort of cult darling for 
his last three movies. And uh, he is he's fully leaning into that. I mean, he kickstarted this movie, so he knows he's got his audience. And he uh, he is he's a all right. This is going to be kind of me kind of uh, lifting the veil on the, my true feelings about Neil Breen because uh, he's sort of an anti filmmaker in a way. Uh-huh. He uh, he does a he you know he works by himself mostly. He has I think one main one main collaborator. Who the, I the cameraman guy yeah, slash and editor? I, and I'm not even sure he was credited. Was he credited on this movie? I didn't see his name. Are you talking about John Mastro Giacomo? That's the man. That's the man. He is back as co-editor and cameraman okay. on this. Yes. So, so this is all Neil's only collaborator. And I, I can't imagine that he has much collaboration with Neil. This is Neil's a one-man ride. So would you say that this this statement rings true? This is the advantage of me being alone. I don't need special forces. I am the weapon. He is the weapon. Um, he is. But, yeah, he's the weapon against cinema because you're talking about the most collaborative art form there is. Yeah. And Neil just says no to all of that. <laughs> he is a one-man band, and it is just, it's going to be, you know... Over the course of making movies, you would think that he would get better at making movies, and he doesn't learn any lessons. <laughs> he refuses to learn any lessons. He just keeps making the same movie over and over and over. And, uh, you know, for me, this is... I, I don't particularly like this movie. Hmm. Uh, as a Neil Breen fan, I find that this is just well-tread territory. Uh, the, the only new... Uh, thing in this movie is the special effects you mean green screen he's learned how to use after effects not well i mean a lot of the green screens are just he just pauses footage of one character and does like a acts as the other character because he's got the the twin brothers here but like didn't leave enough handles to do the performance right in editorial so he just had to freeze frame (laughs) but you know it it's just not it's not cinema it's it's he he like I said, he's anti cinema. He just does his own thing. It doesn't even seem like you know, there's this line if you're if you've ever seen Garth Marenghi's Dark Place, there's a line where Garth Marenghi says that he's written more books than he's read. Well, yes. I believe I believe Neil has made more movies than he's seen. God damn it, that is a fucking great way to look at it. And That's awesome. And I find, you know, by the time you get to Twisted Pear, uh again, I'm a little biased. I'm not a huge fan of this movie. But uh I just feel like, man, we've Neil, we've seen this movie so many times from you, and he threatens you at the end of this movie with the sequel. He does. He does. <laughs> but before we dive into that, let's go ahead and talk about how this is a story about artificial intelligence, programmable DNA, awful facial hair, and a lot of voiceover. This movie stands apart from many of other Neil's works, for a variety of reasons for me, and I will actually lean on something you said a few episodes ago, which was that Neil always, he not only just rehashes what he's done, but he builds on what he's done before. So here is a sum culmination of all the things that he seems to have learned. And learning a little bit about editing, a little bit about After Effects, and using stock footage. The one thing that stands out to me about this movie 
than all others is the exceptionally pervasive use of stock imagery in that you have to wonder, did he write the script first or did he get the stock footage first? Because he uses it to tell the story so specifically and it informs the clothing choices of characters, a.k.a. Kale wearing the hoodie because there's so much footage of a guy brooding in a hoodie in a dilapidated house, things like that. It makes you wonder, like, there's this, I think half the runtime has to be stock footage. Absolutely. Uh, it's actually, it's really disappointing because, you know, when we're talking about uh, I Am Here Now and the extensive amount of uh, stock footage he leaned on in that movie, and then he went away from it. His movies got a little better. And this one, this one is a, a total regression. He's oh, it got... is. You go 10 minutes before you see an entire frame of original imagery. In the pre in the first 10 minutes of the film, you'll see footage he shot, but it's layered in or composited or combined with other stuff. It's not until 10 minutes that we see his boss, the, the blonde woman, in a conference room for all of five seconds. And that is the first piece of original 100% shot footage. 10 minutes and this is only an 88 minute movie yeah that's right and you know i mean the one the one new thing that's happening in this movie is he's compositing himself into the stock footage oh Poorly. we're we're gonna talk about spider breen later <laughs> yeah but i mean he's like he shows up in a shot with an eagle he shows up in laboratory oh, his pet eagle <laughs> so like clearly he was uh browsing on pond five one night and just trying to like write his movie <laughs> And like, I don't know. I mean, if if I was one of his Kickstarter funders, I would just be kind of upset because, you know, the, my my favorite stuff with Neil Breen is the stuff that he goes out in the desert and shoots, or goes out. In this case, he's swapped the desert for a community college. Yes, but, but that's the most interesting stuff is seeing what he can do with the camera. What you know, he locks himself in creatively with all these stock footage things, and he goes back to this awful uh, uh, habit he has of repeating scenes verbatim shot for shot over and over at the beginning of the movie and then the end of the movie just to stretch things out it's, it's called like, mirroring man man it was just yeah but with all this extra <laughs> attention and all this extra funding why go back to that grow as a filmmaker the i look i do not disagree with you i would jokingly say that all that money was spent on stock footage Stock footage is not cheap, you know? He spent a boatload on stock footage because one thing I'll say to his credit, the only images that he tended to reuse were a handful of the scientific, you know, HUD imagery, you know, with the lab people or whatever, and some still photos. But a lot of the stock footage, it was all uniquely used in certain moments so he really just splurged i mean he just said hey fuck it each of these is 79 dollars a clip i'm i'm getting a whole bunch of them i don't even think he paid that much honestly i think he probably <laughs> had promo codes he probably had promo codes or he had a subscription <laughs> or something yeah but uh it's i don't know you know uh i think for me like fateful findings and past through just such great experiences and I will also say that I saw this in the theater the first time I saw it, and it was pretty enjoyable to watch this weird, trippy stock footage, you know, uh, graphic, you know, CGI-ish version of a Neil Breen movie. But then watching it alone this week, 
uh, completely different experience, man. It was just sorely disappointing to watch it alone because, like you say, there's just so much stock footage. It's got to be a third or up to a half. I, I feel like it's half. And yeah, you know, the soul of a film truly lay in how it performs for an audience of one. And that's that's the big testament for his movies for me, you know. If we're going to do a quick lightning round throughout them, I would say Double Down fails. I Am Here yeah. Now succeeds. Uh, Faithful Findings succeeds. Pass Through succeeds. This fails. It's almost like a bell curve, you know, to varying degrees of success and failure on watching it as a solo person. And yeah, this is uh, it, this was hard because I had to stop and start it numerous times because I found myself getting disconnected. Because you're right, we want to see Neil be Neil. We want to see him do him. Now he didn't have anywhere near as big of a cast as the last couple films, but I will say that the actors he surrounded himself with, whenever we were graced with them, they they rose to his level. <laughs> that's for Absolutely, sure. Absolutely, that's true. Um, this this movie. Has one of the better Neil Breen villains. Uh, I'm not counting his brother, Kale. Of course. No, that does not count. Uh, but before we get into that, let's officially get into this. Yeah, let's talk let's about the it. first category, characters. So, out of the, the characters within this film, which ones stood out to you and why? Obviously, Cade and Kale aside. Yeah. Um, again, the so he's got this cool villain in this movie. He's kind of a... Oh, uh, yes. I call him red... Mr... Mr. Diamond Hands. Yeah, yeah. That's like low rent. Um, oh, man. Like, Ernest Blofeld? Like, he, I, I was going to say Elvis Costello. Uh, oh, he, got, he kind of is an Elvis. Yeah, um, with the uh, the morphed voice because he's in Witsack. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he's this bald dude with these like bright red circle glasses. He's always fondling a bowl of diamonds. And his, his speech is just for some reason uh, really badly auto-tuned down to. Like, uh, you mean like this? It's sworn intelligence. The ability to communicate telepathically. <laughs> sure, yeah, that's a that's a And sentence. they also don't they change the actor partway through where he suddenly gets fat and older and then they put him back to the skinny one? Like when he mm. confronts him in the warehouse, or not the warehouse, the, the community college or the, the you know, after he walks by the row of blues brothers in the chairs and he and he sees them all sitting in a circle. That actor looks suddenly heavier and older. I mean, it's it's entirely it's, it's possible. Like a, it's a different guy entirely. I didn't notice that personally. I, I maybe it was just shot at different times. I mean, I have no idea how Neil produces his movies, but I'm guessing it's kind of scatter shot and just. Uh... Okay, well, this is a straight up declaration for the Instagram crowd. I'm going to do a side by side comparison, and you tell me if you think he is a different actor. But continue on, Richard. So yeah, he's this, uh, but he's actually a pretty good villain, you know, when there's an actual plot happening in the movie. It's not just Neil slowly walking around uh, a community college laboratory or, uh, you know, hallways. Um, he's he's colorful. I wish there was more of him. I wish he actually got to speak with his real voice because I don't think the voice works at all. But yeah, uh, no. I mean, I don't know. Maybe this guy is like super squeaky in real life, and Neil just felt he had to do something. But uh, I don't know. It's um, he's a, he's one of the better villains. I think I still prefer the the villain, the, the woman in Pass Through. She's still my favorite. But uh, you know, oh, in she's terms solid. Of, in terms of uh, an actual villain, this one's got this movie's got one. 
it takes you a very long time to be introduced to this villain. And uh, at first you kind of feel like what Neil Neil's, uh, you know, this is a typical movie where, you know, a Neil Breen movie where he decides to round up the corrupt, torture and murder them. I mean, that's that's, that's stock for a Neil Breen yeah. movie. That is exactly what he does. And this time he does it in very much a horror film way. Uh, I, I just want to <laughs> take a moment and say one thing that struck me about this film out of all the other ones. This one felt like it had a definitive look for the stuff they actually shot, which was they were going almost for like a neo-noir. There was very hard shadows, very purposeful light, and generally all the scenes are lit kind of the same. Yeah. Yeah. When, when, when there's actually scenes, yes, this yeah, is They true. actually had a consistency to it, which was again like this sort of hard-boiled film noir but sci-fi fantasy thing going on and that was kind of interesting to see yeah and i actually i think because that stuff is so so consistently shot and uh it has a very specific look that when there is stock footage it makes it so apparent it just it's like the movie stops Mm -hmm. and it's just um it's just wasn't a good choice I mean, you know, I feel like I'm being very critical about this movie, and I am. But, uh, well, yeah, there were some mistakes made, you know? There was oh, some yeah. really good stuff, and then there was just some really fatal, fatal flaws. But to backtrack on myself, because I, I forgot what I was going... I got so distracted by that thing. Are, we're talking about Neil Breen. There's no structure. I know, that's right. So you know what? <laughs> there is no structure to the conversation. There's no structure to the man. The, the, the den... Though, here's the thing that's interesting with this film. Unlike the other ones where he's wreaking havoc on the injustices and the, the cruel and the, the corrupt, there are only three avatars, really, in this film that experience this visually. In the other films, you see a whole litany of people, fields of bodies, literally, which we're treated to later on when he sneaks past through in onto the, well, the home screening room. you want to talk about meta, that, that scene is... Uh, that was my... That's my what the fuck moment, by the yes. way. Was, why is pass through in this movie? But anyways, <laughs> but I like how he has this 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 you know thin little chain. He has tarped up you know plastic sheeting and then blood. And he's got these three guys chained up in this house, and he's apparently shooting them in the shoulders and the legs or whatever. But he's letting them sit there like pieces of meat. This is the big part that really made me call into question when we watched it in the theater together, if he was doing this on purpose. The guy has a piece of fucking scotch tape on his face. <laughs> yes, he does. And they used Sharpie to put a mustache on. Nobody does that by accident. Period. Like, this happened. That is a conscious choice. And that really upset me. Because he's making a joke of this he's that that's uh, you know it got me all fired up when i saw it and it reminded me of it i don't know how i feel about that because that is clearly cartoonish i would give him a pass for bullshit makeup for like his beard and his mustache right sure you know that's just spirit gum and a fake thing but at least he's trying but scotch tape and 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 sharpie what are your thoughts on that i think it's laziness i think he made a lot of lazy choices in this movie um this you know this the the scotch tape the stock footage the it's it's not a it's not one of his better efforts and i i wonder if he was under the gun from kickstarter funders like he had to finish this thing and he just couldn't do it or he just didn't care but like 
something something didn't work here and he wasn't trying you know yeah. uh it's just it doesn't have the the story doesn't have the, the the same kind of structure not that they have structure but the same kind of you know big ideas that that pass through and uh i am here now had it doesn't uh you know this this movie just seems like it's kind of like neil going through the motions and man that's not neil breen i want to see i want to see someone who's trying to to do something that that a, a real estate agent in las vegas has no business trying to do instead of you know what everyone kind of expects a real estate agent in las vegas to come up with and that's what this movie is yeah so let's move on to another character here. It took me until the end of the film to figure out who the fuck somebody was. Because nobody's referenced by name, except for Cade and Kale and Alana at the very end. Then you know who she is. So for the entire time, I had no idea who she was, who was Donna. I didn't know which one was which. And then finally I figured out. So Alana is with Cade. And Donna is the one who's a substance abuser with Kale. And I love anytime she's on the screen and just their tumultuous relationship. And it's just like, it's, it's hot, it's cold. It is this. These are yours, bitch. That's not enough. I need more than that. We're done. I'm done with you. We're done. We're done. We're done. I'm done with you. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> it seems like it's a bad edit that was left in. I, like... think, <laughs> I think it is. But also, I want to call another character that I love. The sound effect of that slap as well as the sound effect of the explosion, because they're both so fucking present, they might as well be characters in this. Oh, and then, of course, I how could I ignore the the detective... Or, sorry, not the detective. The guy the detective talks to, who also has a taped-on painted mustache, who I like to call the low-rent Heisenberg. <laughs> they were last seen on surveillance cameras being followed by someone in a hoodie. So it might be another vigilante justice kidnapping? That's the extent of that conversation. It goes no more interesting than that. Ah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't even understand the point of that cop. He doesn't ever catch Kale. I, dude, I don't know who the <laughs> fuck is anybody in this movie. I know there's the young guy who is clearly a cop who you see him talk half the time. Then you see him talk to this old guy. And I don't know who the fuck he is. I don't, yeah. I don't, I don't know what this movie's about. All I understand is there's a set of twins, stock footage twins, <laughs> who were taken away, and then one of them was gifted cyborg powers or some shit. They were both gifted with the powers, but only Cade uh, succeeds in the missions that the uh, AI alien guys give him. Kale fails, so that they kind of let Kale just go off and be whoever he is. It was just a, you know, evil Neil Breen who goes and 
rounds up CEOs and tortures and murders them. So I like that evil Neil, that we're just going to call them evil Neil and good Neil. Evil yeah. Neil runs around and he does all the things that the other Neil heroes did. While good Neil in this film, he's running around trying to legitimately stop a terrorist attack. Unlike his first hero character in Double Down, who is the terrorist... And at the same time, he also has the worst firearms handling I've ever seen. I don't know anybody who goes in to meet their boss and pulls out their their sidearm, unloads it, callously throws it on the table, and then drops the clip, and then does it with the <laughs> other sidearm. Because of course he has two. <laughs> so evil. So it's interesting because in this movie, evil Neil is playing all the parts that good Neil and the previous ones had played. Yeah. It's it's like this kind of weird uh, uh, flip, but then like at the beginning of the movie, you don't really know if Cade's the good guy or not because he's also out uh, on his weird assassin missions for this sh- shadowy group of uh, people, and his wife's also a member of this shadowy group. And spoiler like, alert, <laughs> just kidding. We already gave that thing. You find out later that she's a member. Yeah. Yeah, but then it's also like. The first scene you see with her is the the most awkward walking, okay. and bumping into somebody. All right, hang hang on. I want right, to start. We're, you know what? <laughs> We're just gonna speed right ahead. I already said how I felt about the story. It made no fucking sense. Characters, there's some interesting ones. There's a weird fucking Tinkerbell fairy that appears and disappears. It's weird. <laughs> story doesn't make any goddamn sense to me. I don't know about you. So let's just get to the what the fuck, including what you just alluded to, which is. To me, hands down, the <laughs> the best pickup line sequence I've ever experienced on film or in my life. Oh, Jesus, shit. Excuse me, excuse me. I'm so sorry. No, okay, I apologize. Okay, I got it. No, 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 no. Hey, let me get that hey, for you. Hey, shoot. Wait, it's my fault. It's no, my no. fault, really. Me my I apologize. Just leave me alone. Let me make leave it up alone. to you. No. I'll take you out to dinner. Let's have a let's have a drink. Let's have a drink. Leave me alone. Let's have a drink. I'll meet you back here at eight o'clock, and we'll go out and have a drink. Go. I'll meet you here at eight o'clock. We'll go out for a drink. I'll make it up to you. (laughs) She was very pretty. Gorgeous. Gorgeous. I bet she comes back at eight o'clock. I bet she don't. And then, and then the follow, the follow up to this is fantastic because then we're treated to what is quite possibly the the least heroic thing our quote unquote hero could say. Hey, that's the girl I met earlier. I'm gonna go follow her. <laughs> and he does. And he does. And we're treated to a, a light stalking, what appears to be. Breaking and entering, and and then um, a straight up assault that has way too much breaking glass sound effects and a lot oh, of dubbing. and that and that very strategically placed uh, painting. Yes, the painting <laughs> is fantastic, and you almost see the smile on his face as she's ready to hit him with it, and then she does, and he's having such a fun time, and then they get into this struggle, and they're wrestling and then all of a sudden he says hey what's for dinner and then you're like what the fuck kind of weird rape fantasy was that to say hello to your your boyfriend or girlfriend it makes no sense 
It makes no <laughs> sense. It's, it's it's so tone deaf. It's just it does not work at all. <laughs> and it goes on forever. I mean, look, this is this is just a segment of it. Over here. What's for dinner? <laughs> what the fuck? No. It yeah, that should not be in the movie. It doesn't. It doesn't add anything. Doesn't explain anything about a characters. You know what it's, that was? That was him trying to do an aha gotcha that he's probably seen in other films, but he wanted to take it a little bit further, and he did by like an extra two minutes to the point where it no longer makes any sense. You know, uh, maybe. But that, it, it really makes everything that came before it count for less because it's so contrived. You know. It's like yes. if you were to just see her from a distance and not do the voiceover, then follow her, and then this is what happens, that's one thing. But if you set up that they're in public, they don't know each other, he say, sees her, pretends like he doesn't know her, then he attacks her, and then this, it's just like too much butter on the toast of trying to deceive the audience, and now it just becomes just fucking ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, if he's like, you know, going to follow her and he sees her meeting with somebody that, uh, you know, that kind of like gives him some suspicion... I understand that, you know, but it's just like, there's nothing, there's no setup here to, to make your character any more interesting. It's just, it confuses everyone in a way that's like, I don't know, to go with, to end up with that lighthearted, oh, you know, what's for dinner? Oh, yeah, whatever. My mom called today. You know, it's just like, that's, that's a, what a terrible scene. It, it achieves yeah. nothing. Absolutely nothing. It does. It does. But I, I am just to move on. <laughs> the better brighter pastures <laughs> i am glad that he did retain at least some semblance of old neil with this entire mission statement I don't give a shit this is my form of justice oh 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 god i knew this was going to come back to bite us in the ass the stolen cars millions embezzled from charities all the politicians we've been paying off oh we've been paying politicians off for years <sighs> the illegal drugs the illegal guns. The CEOs we had assassinated. Human trafficking. Oh, the insurance scams we run. Hell, we've even sold military secrets. I'm going to leave you a little reminder. I will be back. Here's a little gift from me to you. I can't help but the feel. There's. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> There's shades of of the remake of Death Wish in this scene. Yeah. With this, and at least it's like we're back to this. Is the moments that I really love because then you have people saying way too much in an unnatural way about all the things they're doing. <laughs> This is, I wanted more of this. I agree. And I instead think, we got uh, spider breen crawling around fucking JPEGs. Well, that's kind of fun, too. It, okay, yeah, spider breen was fun, but, but you know. But, uh, yeah, I, I like that he's like, all right, he kind of realized that maybe my what my characters do isn't totally heroic. So let me split my character into two separate ones. They're brothers, they're like two sides of a coin so that one can do all the nasty shit and then the other one could be like the here the true hero and like it does work better for the story uh but you know 
uh, yeah, it's f- interesting. I think that Neil's kind of weird look at the world, is, which is just borderline. Uh, it's like a step away from fascism. It's it's <laughs> like it, he just wants to like he wants to like he has this, like these like hippie ideas about spiritualism and and nature and and then all the but he's also like yeah, but we could kill every one that's bad, and I don't care. You know, yes. it's just like these things don't they don't equal each other and you know it's part of this enigma that is neil breen but uh and these are this is the best parts of this movie are, are these weird scenes uh <laughs> i just kind of wish yeah like like you said i wish there were more of them i wish that uh you know we got something that was less less lazily made than the, <laughs> i mean even this stuff like when he like he dupes up these guys in this room at one point he just like composites them and dupes them up. Oh yeah, he does. Like this is there. my punishment, and then you see, uh, it, it's like what he did with pass through with the field of bodies. He just multiplied them in the room. Yeah, you know, but, but I like, I kind of like this weird Dextery kind of character. Yeah, it's interesting, but <laughs> uh, let's let's talk at another WTF for me that I really enjoyed was again. I just love how he has no seeming grasp of how things work in the world <laughs> including police work because i i just love how this detective handles a double murder crime scene looks like the others another clean scene Wait, what did i just see <laughs> Wait, what did I just see? What the fuck? It's a syringe out in the open. What? (laughs) I know, it's like, (laughs) another clean... It's like, did you not wear your glasses today? Another Uh. clean scene. (laughs) And he's not wearing gloves. He's got a Ziploc bag. And then he pulls out the fucking science department tweezers to pick up the syringe. (laughs) Uh, again it's these things are the real gems yes they are we we are treated to only man only 20 minutes of it you know what the the sort of stock footage shit that i will forgive though is we mentioned this earlier the whole fucking bald eagle thing (laughs) but actually sorry it's not a bald eagle it's a regular eagle but him stroking it and then trying to befriend it and then he thanks it thank you for giving me peace of mind why is he appropriating cultural shit again? Well, I mean, you know, he does that all the time in his movies. It's a lot of there's a lot of Native Native American uh, uh, allusions, and sometimes just straight up just like writings that he just rips off and puts in his scripts. You see that a lot of that in uh, I Am Here Now and uh, and and uh, Pass Through. But um, yeah, you know, it's he's got this weird kind of like these weird hippie sensibilities, and then it's like strict neoliberal. Uh, view of uh, justice and the you know way the world should work and the only way to fix it is to just kill and murder the bad people and it's 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 such a bizarre like two conflicting viewpoints that inhabit this one guy who then makes movies that are really cool you know i i kind of i love it and i you know but then at the same time then there was this movie and i just i really don't like this movie but uh (laughs) Which is weird for a Neil Breed fan, I know, but... <laughs> Let me share one more WTF, and then I want to hear some of yours. Sure. I, I love that he treated us to 
what I like to call the crazy old man moment that I feel like any of our grandparents have done, some of our fathers have done, and Neil is now of a certain age that I'm glad we got to see him do it too. Who's there? Who's there? I know somebody's there. Who are you? What do you want? Who's there? The music sounds like it's the temp track for anything from the Saw franchise. It's like, <laughs> this is not what we're going to have, you know, Charlie Klauser do, but this is what we're going to have him try to emulate, but do better. Oh, man. <clears throat> but, you know, who hasn't had a moment like that where they wake up and just uh, <laughs> shout at nothing? <laughs> Who's there? I know you're there. I is there even a reverse shot in that scene? No, there isn't. <laughs> it is 100% him. <laughs> we never see what startles him. We just hear, no, we don't. Well, here, we just hear the EDM. Like, there's some <laughs> shadows that move across the bed because he loves to do that sort of shit with the lighting. Oh, yeah. And that's about it. So. That's right. It's the hand. The hand. You got like a weird creepy hand. Yeah, it's but, the uh, weird. It, it, you know what it is? It's the vet from... <laughs> from pass through you have his little spider his spider shadows right what okay sorry uh, i i've really monopolized the wtf i want to hear from you on what wtf really stood oh, out to you well you know uh i said one at the beginning it was uh what was it well it was the uh well all right so let's talk about the uh the briefing scene in the conference room where everyone goes around and talks about what the hell that corporation that the good neil works for does oh yes uh <laughs> the, the 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 secret agency where this sort of thing happens a crisis programmable virtual reality i just need to pause it for a second i don't know any kind of fucking virtual reality that isn't programmable by the way <laughs> no no but let's keep going it gets yes, better yes yes here we go <laughs> We have evidence of the largest cyber and terror attacks ever planned. Programmable DNA. This is very serious. Homeland Security is ready. <laughs> Sorry, he just puts a fucking gas mask on the table because that's what you do. To signify Homeland oh, Security's ready? God, here we go. Mind hacking. Programmable matter. We will all be connected telepathically. Special agencies are prepared. Why does this sound like it's a pitch meeting for like batshit products or just bad oh. ideas? And he he is like got a listicle of like techno babble and he's just like copy paste. <laughs> And it's in the script. And he gave those lines to ten people. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see if there's more. I nope, the there's no more. Instant personal facial recognition data. Content on everyone. To prevent the spread of evil and terror. 
I just want to mention how I love that this particular stock footage is pulled from China. So you have Neil Breen walking through a Chinese subway <laughs> with facial recognition that isn't, by the way, recognizing faces. It's just covering the backs of people's heads and shit. <laughs> and this is his Jack oh, Bauer man. walk. Dude. He doesn't understand any of the stuff he says. No, he doesn't. So, but I love that part. I love those parts where it's just like he has you just no no grasp, and then the people who are reading the lines have no clue what they're saying. They're just saying it. Oh, it's great. Why isn't there more of that in this movie? Yeah, yeah, agreed, agreed. What else stuck out to you? Um, what did I say at the beginning of the episode? What were we talking about? We like half talked about it. Oh hell, man, that was so long ago. <laughs> this movie, this movie gets you so like twisted and turned. It's like hard to remember what we're was it about, about the visual effects of uh, perhaps the agency lady giving him a flying sphere of data after he <laughs> callously threw his guns onto the to the ottoman. I mean, I mean, that's a good one. And then there's also him unlocking doors with a glowing thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, I don't know. Light. I don't know why he has this power all of a sudden. It's not explained. It's no, in the beginning, the being gave him all that. He's well, a humanoid. Yes, but he's he doesn't use a lot of those powers at the beginning of the movie. He only uses them towards the end when he's Spider Manning around the the the, the, the JPEGs. Oh, I think we were talking about the uh, we were talking about the um, way he was doing scenes where he's playing Kate and Kale together in a room, and he has to like pause. Oh, yes. Was one of them? Oh, man. That's right. Yeah, like, because Kale is often the one who's not saying anything. And the eye lines are all over the place. It's, he's he's freezing Kale so he can put his arm around him. Yes, that's right. And it's that's always, like, in some sort of transcendental, you know, meeting point. Because I don't know if these guys meet in person more than a couple times. But it's, he's always lamenting missing his brother yeah, they they meet so many times in the movies. So weird. Like yeah. they're just like he lives down the street with his uh, kill room, you know. Just yeah, that's right. He lives have a beer down, with them down the street with his <laughs> kill room and his 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 girlfriend, who suddenly changes her hairstyle, her overall demeanor, because then she, okay, this is actually a really fun scene. Hey, baby, you want a party? No thanks. I have a girlfriend. Hey, look at this. Hey, what what the fuck? You shaved! What the fuck is going on here? Damn it. I never had a beard. What? What are you talking I've about? I've never had a beard. Do you know Kale? What? You look just like That's somebody That's my twin I used to brother. Know. What is going on here? I lived with Kale. I used to live with him. <laughs> so I guess that's a jump in time. Ah, here we are. We're back to his old tricks of fa flashing forward and backward in time or whatever, because now she's a blonde. She's not. Yeah, sure. She doesn't have dark hair. I didn't recognize her. I thought she was just a very well-dressed hooker walking around a community college campus. And here we are. So, yeah, what happened? Did they, did they forget the wig? Did uh, they shoot this multiple weekends and she just changed her hair? Who knows, man? It's uh, It doesn't make any sense. I guess she cleaned up, right? So she obviously changed. Yeah, I guess they're yeah, they're not together anymore. But uh, but yeah, it's you know, so many plot holes in this movie <laughs> that are on. We we're gonna be kind to say it was time jump, and it was all yeah. We'll we'll call non-linear storytelling. Yeah, we'll there you kind. go. Exactly. Yeah. 
anything else that you want to point out? <laughs> well, I mean, there's all there's like the weird avatar forest that they keep walking into. Yes. <laughs> in the beginning, in the end, it's just this still frame that he got from the internet somewhere, and oh, the best use of it is when they must have like sprayed his eyes with fucking peppermint oil just to get that one running tear as he's looking <laughs> because this is out of this world I'm sorry I'm, sorry. I'm, with, I'm you. with you the most touching Farewell yeah. of brothers, and then the la- the very last what the fuck moment we we brought it up at the beginning. Why is pass through in this movie? Yes, <laughs> and why is the Tinkerbell character? It's literally the most unmotivated scene. We cut from him blowing up the community college. <laughs> To the house where Mr. Diamond Hands lives with his chalice of diamonds. And then there's there's a fucking movie poster in the screening room, by the way, for fucking um, Finding Dory or or Finding Nemo, whatever it is with the fucking Bruce the Shark. It's like right next to the screen. Yeah, yeah. She crosses the, the shitty, messy setup of wiring while she's sparkling and then pass through plays. She touches the wall. And then pass through turns off, and then she disappears, and then all of a sudden there are fucking shoes filled with diamonds. <laughs> yeah, and it's the scene in pass through where he's like walking through all the corpses, and then his face like morphs or whatever it does in that movie. I don't understand that why that's there. Now, like if you were to tie a movie in, I think the way to have tied a movie in would have tended to use double down actually, mm-hmm. and then have. Good Neil hunt the character from Double Down to stop his terrorist attack. Oh, that would have yeah. been a nice full circle of all of his movies, right? Yeah, that's not what he chose to do, though. He chose to pick this weird scene from Pass Through, just throw it on the wall, unexplained, and then it's just there. It's this like I don't know if he's trying to do fan service with this, but it's just like it's meta Neil Breen, and it's not good Neil Breen. It's just I don't get it at all, and I don't they- know why it's there. It really confuses me in that whole thing about how last time we were talked about the uh, the multiverse that he might be making or the cinematic universe of various realities. I'm I'm so confused by it. If that's what he's trying to do, then he completely missed. I yeah, mean, he, he did. And then I think there's an opportunity to kind of do it because all of his movies are kind of similar. So you could have these kind of characters become interweaved throughout each other's stories. Why not? You know, there could be there could be a whole gang of guys uh, murdering uh, hundreds of millions of people but uh <laughs> you know oh my god okay well let's put spider breen to bed and yeah we really haven't really talked about this guy you, you know you, you know what i kind of don't want to i've been dancing around leave... it i, I want to <laughs> dance around it i want to leave it as a mystery so that the listeners have a <laughs> Little I bit do. Of joy. I will say, as much as I don't like this movie, you should watch it for this really bad visual effects. It's uh, it's glorious. It's very Tim and Eric, and without right. any of the irony, uh, you should watch it. It's fun. Absolutely. So to the uh, underscore of him demolishing this entire 
set of, uh, I guess, piping or whatever the fuck he's doing, infrastructure, I would like to talk about the sauce rating. So, for this final entry, how saucy was this film? <laughs> how subversive? Well, since he is uh, the king of anti-cinema, I mean, it's a 10 out of 10. It is, it is not cinema. It is, it is something else. You'll never see anything like this. No one would even try to make this movie. Yeah, 10 out of 10. My God, Richard. Thank you for walking myself and the audience through the valley of the shadow of Breen throughout this entire <laughs> five-film arc. Do you have any final thoughts, opinions, anything you want to impart about the works of the man, the man himself, anything, uh, before we wrap this up. Well, I was going to say, how do you, uh, how would you rank these movies, all five of them now? We've talked about them all. I've got my, my top five. Uh, what's yours? How do you rank them? I would have to say I uh, probably go Fateful Findings, Pass Through, I Am Here Now, Twisted Pair, Double Down. Yeah, I'm pretty much there. I would swap. Uh, I think it's Fateful Findings. I am here now. Pass through and then uh, Twisted Pair and Double Down. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, I, I've been pretty harsh on Neil tonight. But uh, I do really feel like, for me, what, why I'm so drawn to Neil Breen. You know, my day job, I work as a finishing editor. And... Uh, so I, I'm like one of the last people that works on someone's movie before it goes out to theaters. And I've worked with a lot of directors who have a lot of trouble letting go of their movies. And they kind of know the movie they've made at this point and they're, you know, not always happy about it. Sometimes they're excited, sometimes they're not. And they're just trying to, like, fix things and they're trying to, like, find the one thing they can change that will make their movie great. And it's really hard to, you know, be the guy in the room who's kind of has to just usher the thing along and finish it. And they will obsess about these kinds of weird details and it won't make their movie any better. But what I, so what I appreciate about Neil Breen is that he doesn't obsess about details. He just does. It just kind of flows out of him. And I think that's really kind of just amazing. He doesn't take any input from anyone. He just makes the movie the way he wants to make it. And it's done, and it's 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 out for the world to see, and uh, I really really appreciate that part of it, and I think it's really worth uh, checking it out because, like I said, this guy is an enigma, and you're not going to see anything else like this anywhere else from any other filmmaker. Amen to that, sir. So, where can you yourself find Twisted Pair? It's on Amazon Prime, and if you want to get it from the man himself. Go to twisted-pair-film.com and you can buy a DVD burn directly from the man's hard drive himself. Hopefully it will work. Hopefully it'll work. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Well, again, Richard, I can't thank you enough for walking us through the collective works of Neil Breen. It's been a real trip. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, and if he makes another one, we'll, uh, we'll do that one, I, I assume. Goddamn right. It's been a subversive ride, man. Thank you again. Check out Neil's films. You won't regret it. 
As Richard said, you've never seen anything like this. Until next time, stay subversive. If you enjoyed the show, make sure you leave us a review and a five-star rating at your preferred podcast provider. Tell a friend so they can check it out too. And follow us on Instagram at subversive underscore cinema for more content. Subversive cinema.